Hi, I'm your host Shane Ripley with Mountain Crypto. Today we're going to go over the event that I recorded at the Elevate, which is E-L-E-V-8 convention in Los Angeles, California on April 3rd. Um, this first uh, recording for my podcast folks is a de decentralized panel discussion entitled Clinical Applications for Blockchain Technology, Improving Care and Collaboration. And I will forewarn you, if you're not a real um, cryptocurrency lover on all aspects in every single area, this may not be for you. If you're just looking for hot tokens or something like that, this may not be for you. This is very um, much with how the commercial applications of the blockchain will be utilized and um, where it's headed when it comes to healthcare and collaborating. So um, there is some good across-the-board uh, discussion on cryptocurrency. Uh, hopefully this will come out good. I'm going to try and uh, play the recording right now. So bear with me, and uh, hopefully it's something you enjoy. If not, um, we'll do some token reviews and things like that later in the week. So thank you. And with that, we'll get started. And with that, we will get started as soon as I hit the play button. issues um, are actually forcing people to think about, rethink models. And so when you think about care and you think about um, the accountability and outcomes-based care that people are moving, well, want to move towards, which is kind of an odd thing to say about healthcare, we really need to put the person, not the patient, but the person at the center of that circle, the care circle. So we're talking about clinical care applications. It's really talking about how can we work with the person at the center of that circle instead of outside that circle or on the fringe of that circle. Um, and we're talking about payers, providers, everybody's talking about all the people, the stakeholders, but few people are actually talking about the patient. So I think what's going to drive is, on the one hand, I think regulation, regulation can be established to say, look, privacy is important, uh, shareability of data is incredibly important, we have to achieve this measure of interoperability that is the holy grail as well. And so when you think about the patient at the center or the person at the center of that circle, we can actually be the arbiters of that information. I think you know we can move toward that holy grail of better outcomes uh, for patients, better care that's delivered, because now there's contextualized data around ourselves. What's missing today is that so much of us is fragmented across so many different entities. And all of them have a piece of us, basically. And there's no way to integrate that. So if you really rethink, I mean, if you think about any system, you have to stop to think and say, is the system working? And we can all agree that it isn't, right? And so, you know, why are we trying to force feed something into a broken system? So I think I look at it from a systems perspective. And one of the things that I see terribly lacking is the acknowledgement that the system is broken. Everybody says, oh yeah, well, things are not working, it's not broken, we have EHR, we've got this, we've got that. You really have to look at the system level, and if the system itself is broken, you've got to rethink the model, and the, re the way you rethink this model to say that we can comply with all of these regulatory issues and we can regulatory uh, prescriptions, if you will, uh, from an industry standpoint, and we can track and trace different pieces of data of ourselves, I think the regulatory issues can actually help drive this adoption. 
just one point. It has to be industry because the federal government has said they will not establish a single patient identity. So, so it has to be industry or some other market force that, that gets us to that point because it's not going to be so, you know, we've built this whole enterprise software system, if you will, for data, health data at a personal level, but it's held at the enterprise, right? And that's why we have the fragmentation. We, do we see it being some of these large health systems that will start this ball rolling? Um, I mean, God, I, I, you know, I, I would love to see that be the case. I will say that, uh, you know, one of the new appreciations I've gotten after founding a company is realizing how your clock is so different than the groups you're selling to on the provider side. Um, if you look at the space, you know, 2017 saw an explosion of companies in healthcare leveraging more. There were so many that popped up. Uh, and then by 2018, they started to drop down. And now by 2019, most of them have vanished. And with good reason, because it, uh, a company can't place an 18 to 24 month sales cycle on a hospital side and both possibly survive, right? You, maybe you raise capital and you've got enough capital for you know a year, 18 months, maybe if you're lucky. Um, but but you need an option, and you're burning you're burning money, and every day is more money that you're burning. And so uh, you know trying to figure out where that adoption is going to happen is, is a big challenge. And you've got you've got the companies that are startups that are playing in the space, and then you've got the incumbent companies, your IBM, your Accenture's. We're playing in the space too, and they have plenty of capital. Amazon, well, Amazon sure, but they all have capital. They can, they can take all the time that they want and move slowly in the relationships, uh, and that's a real challenge right now. And that's I think why the, the space is dramatically changing. I, I do think that you know for the first time we're really seeing um, a new way of looking at things, and new possibilities, and things that could not exist before. So I think the, the role of technology in all of this is to be able to enable a new way of doing things because something wasn't available before. So I think one of the, the some of those fundamental systemic things we struggle with in healthcare, uh, specifically around data, I think those are the the building blocks that we start from. And in terms of adoption, I mean look at pharma for example, it's a great use case of regulation helping to accelerate adoption. All the industry is really looking at, well, in the US, November 27th of this year as being the first milestone to achieve the first step towards serialization, track and trace, right? And so when you've got regulations like that in a regulated industry sort of banning the flames and driving adoption, I think that can be a very big catalyst in this process. And I think, you know, when you're looking at any of the entities in this space, I mean, the tech companies are moving in, and why are they moving in? Because they, they see a system that's broken. If they can use a, a, a blockchain in the way that it was intended to be used, so not a centralized version of adoption or, or a blockchain, which to me is kind of an oxymoron, uh, but you know, if they can really reconstruct things in a way that works with the basic tenets of blockchain, I think there could be some really great advantages to bringing some of the tech players. IBM's getting involved in this space. They're hugely into identity and identity management. They're working with a number of entities on this point alone with Evernim and Sovereign. And so I think that they understand those basic elements. And I think that identity is really going to be the heart of healthcare because we've got to have people that are going to be at the center of this, not the provider, not the payer, not the pharma, not the other piece. It's the person at the center. And I say the person rather than the patient because I think it desensitizes who we are 
if we just say, well, we're, we're patients, well, we're not patients, I mean, we talk about this, we're consumers. And we really have to look at what does consumerization of healthcare truly mean? Well, that means it's gotta be personalized to us as individuals. And the only way you can do that is if we own our identities. Is there a role for payers in this? We haven't mentioned that stakeholder group, and they would also be interested in getting the collated access to a collated uh, record of you in order to make judgments on how to help guide you through reimbursement. Well, to, to me, the payer is the biggest beneficiary, and the most cost savings go to the payer by doing this. They've been somewhat absent to date, <laughs> some of that. So, um, so I would say that there is a role. The question is, is whether they're willing to play and participate in the, the solutions, and also with their technology and the way that they do business today, um, it's cost avoidance. Again, personal opinion, this is UC Davis, this is opinion, but there's a lot of cost avoidance here, or delays with pre-authorizations and some of the way that the contracts, actually that's one of the other use cases that I'm, that I'm familiar with around smart contracts, and, and trying to speed up that process, and that, that might be another spot where payers, who can bear some of that cost, can implement smart contracts and help that process. So, so they have a significant role, whether they're willing to step up and play that role, or other question. So, payers, um, not quite the right use of the word ironically, but they have very, they have very tight constraints. Uh, and when it comes to new technology, I, I have to sit there and think really hard as to who's harder to sell into, the providers or the payers, um, because it's, it's again, it's, it's a struggle for people who should be participating in the space, who definitely have an advantage uh, or a benefit to, to garner from it, yet are hesitant to step in, or hesitant to put the water, or hesitant to pay for early adoption, or even pilots, and that's a, that's a big challenge. So what are opportunities in identity management? What are some other potential applications we want to do? We can have the academic sense. So uh, another um, uh, interesting uh, application that uh, we have been looking for uh, is to um, uh, like um, log um, the use of um, clinical data as a second use of uh, EHR data. Um, and then uh, to log on how they'll be used, and then who is using them. And then, um, and then with this data, if we log this on um, uh, blockchain, then actually um, the, um, the, uh, the, the correct uh, teams or uh, researchers can be uh, credited uh, properly. So um, for example, um, these days, like, it's just, um, not unusual that uh, team one um, develop some um, new, um, for example, uh, AI algorithm and applied um, uh, healthcare, and then share this data, share this uh, software, and then the second team pick this data up and do some data processing, and then again, um, do some research and then publish another paper. And then another team pick up this software and then use their own data to create another. So like this chain of uh, research is kind of uh, hard to trace today. Like uh, as an end user of this uh, research, uh, who should I credit to? So, um, like, uh, if we all, uh, like lock all this uh, pro uh, like a process and, and chain, actually this creates an audit trail that um, uh, like those teams can be uh, credited uh, properly. So this is actually one of the um, uh, the report that we recently uh, submitted to uh, the NIH. Uh, so uh, they are uh, they are pushing for the NIH uh, cloud credit um, pilot. Uh, so uh, in this uh, project, uh, they are seeking for new um, New ways to utilize uh, the cloud uh, sharing environment for healthcare. So, uh, so this might be another use case of that. Thank you.
I'll throw another one out. It's something I really deeply feels very, very strong, feel strongly about, which is governance. Um, a lot of people don't talk about governance. So how does that apply in healthcare? Well, if you think about the purpose of having these ground rules um, in any system, um, again, I'm approaching this from a, a real systems develop, you know, systems perspective. Governance is really important because you have to have that accountability and responsibility baked into any system, right? The reason why we have governance in society is to have some rules of engagement, some commonly agreed code of conduct, if you will. And the same applies to systems. So in healthcare, what we have is everybody is doing something in, you know, in a siloed fashion no one stepping up for the accountability of their failings. Uh, we see these every day in clinical care settings. Um, and I, mean, I just visited a loved one in the hospital yesterday. Back in the hospital, had a stroke, um, was released, now developed in, in pneumonia, back in the hospital. And that's a very painful situation. Well, how did that pneumonia even happen? You know, who's, you know, was there something that, that could have caused that, right? And we know this happens all too often, and people just look the other way, turn the cheek the other way, and say, well, this person's old, this person's that. There's a lot of excuses made. And I think that we've got to wake up and say, we're talking about the future of humanity here. We're talking about people living healthy lives. It's about bringing health back into healthcare. And I think that the incentives, the motivations, have to be redrawn and rethought and reframed and challenged because we're all getting, in, in, at least from the stakeholder perspective, far too complacent about what we're really talking about, and that's people's health. So those of us that are in this space don't do it because um, it's easy to do. It's not. You know, we're here, all of us, talking about this issue because it's difficult. Because we have to come to grips with some realities and we have to acknowledge those realities. It's kind of like that 12-step process. If you're in that denial, there's no way you can advance through that process. So we kind of wake up through, we get past that denial and say, okay, guys, we have a system that's broken, right? Guys and gals. And we can do this together. But I think the mentality has to shift from this individual, winner-takes-all kind of attitude to the collective we, and how are we all going to do this together, linking arms by putting the patient and the person and the individual at the center of the circle and having that, the whole conversation being changed around what we're talking about. Otherwise, we will never get out of this deep, dark spot that we're in. I mean, we're in the Mariana Trenches here, especially in the U.S., which is ridiculous. I mean, these are just continue to spiral out of control. So I think that they're from a cost-saving perspective and how do you drive adoption, there's a lot that we can do by saying there's a lot of savings that can happen, small steps that we can take to say that the technology actually works in this setting. But beyond that, it has to be this fundamental cultural shift that the conversation has to change around we, how can we help the person be at the center of the system. Well, about um, you know the difficulties of selling to these different healthcare stakeholders. What are some of the lessons learned that you would? Yes, <laughs> sure. selling or other aspects. Yeah, no, that's a great question, and uh, I do agree 
with everything Ali said, there is um, a huge opportunity here to revolutionize so much around the patient. I think the challenge is, is that this is still an industry that is thinking like a business, and uh, you know, big visions around the patient sound great, and everybody wants to do that. But the truth is, is, at the end of the day, they want to just keep their hospitals running. They want to keep the money flowing, and they want to stay in business, and it's challenging because the margins are terrible. Uh, so, you know, we've never, well, Omni's never, ever touched patient-level data, and that was purposeful. We went completely in the opposite direction and said, well, okay, what is the highest cost center in hospitals? Well, it's growing. I mean, right now it's personnel, but it's becoming supply chain. And if the supply chain doesn't work, guess what? All the patient care that you want to do, all the great care you want to provide to patients, none of it happens, you can't get access to things. Um, so we started thinking through, what are the non-HIPAA-related data sources where we can build industry-focused, um, business-related relationships between partners who already have relationships, but data is not part of that relationship. So if you have an industry relationship, you have a relationship on your supply chain side, yet there's not a data relationship, how would it change if data is now introduced if you have the ability to be able to share selectively data between parties and be able to actually drive relationships? And we, we started out with that thesis very early on. It has been a huge blessing because now, you know, a, a year and a half later, uh, we've got big pharma clients, we've got hospital clients, we're growing very quickly, uh, and we're getting an option, and that's because we're staying away from the areas where uh, it raises a red flag. Right? It's easier to sell into hospitals if you're not touching patient level data. If you're talking about areas where they're no, they know they're hemorrhaging money, and you know you can have uh, you know impact on the patient care, but it's it's sort of aggregated impact, right? And so that piece I think has been that for us was a big revelation to really understand how to go in that direction. The other piece was that with distributed technology, you're often thinking about um, you know two-sided sales cycles or marketplaces that you're building. It's not just to one client. You're thinking about the other clients that you're touching. And so because we you know we're working with pharma and hospital systems, it's a question of well, how do you you know chicken or the egg, right? How do you work from one direction to the other? And so it took us a bit to really understand that well, pharma has the money and they're willing to adopt new technologies. And they're interested in understanding how they can revolutionize a lot of different things in the market. Yes, it's tied to market access. Yes, it's tied to sales. Um, but there is a bigger vision around healthcare. And so being able to sell the pharma and have them bring the providers to us helps us avoid a two-sided sales cycle. Otherwise, we could be selling to hospitals and then we'd be selling to pharma and we'd be having to sit there and do two sales for each one sale that we want to close. Um, it would be a nightmare, right? Like no company can survive. So I think for the companies and their product, I see a number of hands in the audience. How many people are from companies in the distributed blockchain space? A couple, a few. Okay, I, I think you know it's challenging. The sales cycle is challenging. Everyone is looking for adoption. They're looking for pilots that are hoping to convert. Um, and those key pieces, I think, really have to center around where are you really going to drive value? Because if you go after a too big of a vision here, it's too hard for uh, the people you're selling to to really think through the longer application. If you're tackling a pain point that they know they're dealing with every day, they wake up in the morning and they're saying, man, this is like really burning my budget. I'm watching my cost center bleed and hemorrhage money in this space. I need to find a solution. Or I have a solution and I know it's garbage and it's not really driving value. That's where you can sell. And so that's where I, I again, continue to emphasize companies to push towards is really understanding the clients in the space and understand where their pain points are. Um, and the vision piece can come later. But if you're not delivering now on their pain, you're not going to live long enough to do the right thing. So I'll challenge you on that because um, you know I think that you know it's true to say that 
if it's just sitting in vision land, it's difficult perhaps to think about how you're going to implement. But I will say this, you think about data, data is really at the heart of this. Um, I always talk about the continuum of data. So I will challenge any of these providers and say, how are you acquiring this data? Um, you know, if you're acquiring it through the many means today that are prone to error, the data itself is of, of poor quality, right? Mostly I'm scared. Yeah. And so I think that you know, we have to talk about the data. It's, a, it's easy to say, well, this is all about vision. It isn't just about vision. It's about proving to these people that what is your pain point is really having A, quality data, B, what are you going to do with that data? Is there a way to share data to get maximized value for the person at the end of the day? And that's the, really the continuum that you're trying to show, because otherwise, even with blockchain, I talk about immutable garbage. If you have garbage coming into the system, it's great to have that you know, immutability, but if you're going to have bad data to begin with, you're not going to end up with anything quality to begin with. So you're going to talk about immutable garbage at that point. So I think that even with providers, I think that conversation back to the data conversation and saying, you know, what are you doing with that data? If you're manipulating the data, again, what kind of data are you talking about? And so to any of these providers or pharma, what kind of data sets are they working with? And I would argue that right now they're working with very limited data sets. So the opportunity to open that conversation around data to make it, you know, truly inclusive of the global population is really where we ought to be moving. If we're talking about population health, if we're talking about individualized care or personalized care that is the holy grail of medicine, if you will, at this point, it, you know, we have to talk about what that data is. So it's great that you're making the connections because I think those connections are absolutely important. But I think, you know, starting from that very fundamental basic level, which is what kind of data do you have? How are you acquiring this data? How, uh, in, you know, uh, protected is this data from an integrity standpoint? Um, you know, and how can we make it error-free, bringing it into the system itself, and then dealing with all the other things that you're doing with the data. I think that's what the word's about. And if they can't understand the cost savings, wow, we're really in bigger, bigger, deeper doo-doo than we think that we are. You know, I do. I do want to circle back on the the, the, the piece as the provider in the room. So how about, uh, I, I represent the hospital side. But, uh, How many providers do we have in the audience? Probably some MDs, PhDs, we can include you in that audience. So, um, so I just want to circle back on the whole the whole concept of, of the system and the basically the brokenness of the system. Today we have, and I'm stealing from somebody else, and I don't know where I heard it, but we have a sick care system. You get sick and you and you go receive care. Changing the model or flipping the script so that we actually, and I think they're doing that through legislation with the ACOs and the medical homes and, and really trying to push the risk and the cost of the pneumonia-based readmission back on the healthcare providers, how do we, not only do you have a penalty for, for our side, for, the, for healthcare providers, but really think about your own personal behavior. When you go to Starbucks and you order whatever it is that's a thousand calories that's, that's just your drink in the morning, how is that affecting your health and how do I reward the correct behavior so that you can be a participant in this, right? And so, so I think that the, the idea here is that there's a legislation piece that the government is, that, that we're pushing a reimbursement piece. If I get paid fee for service, I want to see as many people as I can as quickly as I can versus I'm taking care of a person 
right? And I'm taking care of a person, and, and the system is rewarding behaviors of the system, which is me, the healthcare provider, by being proactive with my care, whether it's diabetes management or something else. And I reward the patient or the person for correct behaviors, right? So uh, I was on a panel of, of, a number of months ago with a, a gentleman from a company called Grapevine, which has essentially they started up as a health information exchange, and they've expanded that to some point-based reward system for using services within their, their healthcare enterprise. And essentially, if we can look at blockchain as a way to engage consumers in their and positively in their health, and, and again, we've got identity pieces, we've got encouraging them for, for correct behaviors and discouraging incorrect behaviors, right? Then maybe we can start down that road of, of changing the model or at least impacting the health of the nation or the health of the people that are with us. I completely agree with that. Um, Bravo. Really, really well put. Um, and I think that the conversation has to shift around incentivizing behaviors not only for us as individuals but as entities. How are we going to change that as an incentive model? So right now, it's like I said, you know, people say, oh, well, we're moving away from fee-for-service. However, the incentives around data specifically are still very much the same, right? Everybody wants to own that piece of it. Nobody is reluctant to give up the ownership. And that ownership and that identity management piece is absolutely critical in all of this. It's going to change the conversation. Um, the, the, the thing that I wanted to add to what you just said, which is that when you're looking at, again, what's going to incentivize behavior, we've never had a technology that has incentivization at the heart of it, right? I mean, we just don't have that in current technology today. And I think blockchain is one of those great technology platforms that offers incentivization as a piece of it. I mean, that's why we have tokenization. Um, wow, I said the T word, you know? But it's, I, I, do get a free, I do get a free coffee if I buy five at the same gas station, so there's some incentive. I mean, we, we as human beings have so many tokenized models just in everyday society. Like you said, the frequently visited coffee shop, you know, or I bought 10 sandwiches so my 11th one is free. I mean, you know, or I'm air miles. I mean, we've got a lot of loyalty systems. We've got a lot of incentive systems that are available today. We don't think twice about it, right? We can use that same mentality and use technology as a way to leverage that and to, to enable that and catalyze that if we can build incentivization into the system, right? Um, how do you incentive incentivize a provider to share the data? How do you incentivize pharma to share data? How do you incentivize many of the stakeholders? And how do you incentivize people? We have to share data on what we're drinking in the morning. Right, and, and, and how do you incentivize people? Because, you know, I've worked on the digital health side too. I love wearables, don't get me wrong, I've got my Fitbit too. But, you know, and I love biofeedback. It does tell me some things about what I'm doing right, maybe what I could be doing better. But it doesn't always incentivize behavior, right? And I think that we've got a new technology that is able to offer incentivization, you know, at the heart of it, so we can actually reward people for certain behaviors, reward, you know, entities for that good behavior. And I think that's a piece that nobody's talking about a lot, but I think that, that that's a, a, a key part of this revolutionizing healthcare. So a year from now, we're going to meet, I don't know if it's going to be or not, but uh, when we look back at blockchain and healthcare and say, okay, we spent a year educating the healthcare stakeholders. 
or we spent a year uh, experimenting with um, you know, uh, testing, putting out you know, systems that maybe will be adopted in the next three years. Are we going to be looking at a year of adoption of, health, of blockchain in healthcare? Or are we going to be looking at a year of monetization? What are we going to say a year from now when we look back at 2019 and say 2019 was a year of what? So I think, uh, at, at least for the research perspective, uh, probably is still in uh, education uh, more than others. Uh, because uh, uh, I was talking about blockchain, uh, I mean, within or uh, outside UCSD, uh, I, kind of, I mean, from feedback, uh, most of people still, uh, I mean, not really understand what it is and uh, not really know uh, how, how it can like, uh, transform uh, healthcare or uh, bring any kind of risk uh, than its benefits. So uh, I believe uh, it is from, um, from the researcher's standpoint of view, uh, still education. I would say that um, there are some low-hanging fruit. I think you're absolutely right that there's a path to this adoption. We're not going to see any holy grails being achieved in 2020 uh, or by 2020. What we are going to see is um, there's a lot of movement in pharma. Again, the regulatory issues uh, or the regulatory compliance uh, is, is fanning that and the flames and accelerating the process, forcing people to adopt this and think about how they're going to change that conversation. So we are going to see track and trace, serialization, pharma, that side is really on a clear path. We're also going to see some great inroads, I think, in patient owned health data. There's a lot of startup activity in this space. There's also tech majors like IBM that have had this great partnership with Everton and Sovereign that are also talking about this. And so I think that there are some serious players that are looking at reframing this. So I think there's going to be a lot more movement in that direction. And then I will say that there's going to be some exciting things in clinical trials as well. Um, maybe just a little bit further out, but I think there's some, you know, even things as basic as consent management as being a part of that process are going to drive some cost efficiencies that yeah, I'll put it in the still exploration bucket for 2019. I think um, now it's starting to, we've gotten to the stage where um, there's still some very, I mean, how you put it, there's a very clear use cases for adoption, right? And people are now piloting, they're trying, uh, they're having clearer conversations than what happened before, which were a little bit more broad conversations. In the ocean has been boiling plenty over the last two years, and now we've got some very specific directions to go in. So I see this year as being um, one of still a lot of piloting, a lot of trialing, a lot of seeing what does what, where the results we're going to get. Um, are we actually going to be able to drive value and returns on some of these applications? And is blockchain still the best solution in this space for uh, letting these spaces to try out? And so I think 2020 will be the year we're going to sort of see a lot more adoption, but this year is still trying out. And I would agree. I, I think that the fact that the, the title of this is blockchain, cryptocurrency, we really need to look at selling the use case. So as a very risk-averse organization, the number of times that I have to send an MOU or a legal document and how long that process takes in my organization is insane, right? So back to your sales cycle comment. I think when you change the, when you change the dynamic and say, we have a really cool solution and it does this and it solves this business problem, and we stop we focus on that and not the back-end technology. I mean, you don't have a conference, I'm not going to throw a better name out, but you don't have conferences about particular technology. 
right? Net D2 or whatever. I mean, maybe you do and I don't go. <laughs> but I think that we got to move away from talking about what the back-end technology is and what the solution is. And I think, that, I think it's going to be a year of learning. Looking at my executives, they know nothing about blockchain. But if I came and said, hey, we can solve this really cool business problem this way, and there's a value proposition that saves cost or, or, or does something that benefits the organization, and we step away from talking about how cool blockchain is, I think that will allow us to win. Do we have time for audience questions? I see nobody saying no, so we'll go ahead and take one. Go ahead. How would that work in your opinion? Uh, I'm head of the, let's say, the health industry, and I'm number one, so they'll follow me, right? for example. So you're so right. Is that, is so that correct? I was going to say, there's not really a number one. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, so in, in line with that, who would be the person we would talk to to implement anything of what we're talking about to make the first move? Well, um, well, I, is there um, such a thing? I don't know. I'm just asking. What problem, what problem are we solving? Okay, so we're going to start off with what you had said, making the, the patients be able to enter their information if that's the first step. So I would have to ask you, what would be the first step for that information? Would it be getting all the, getting the information first? So, so if you were building a solution that was focused on Correct. patients' data, and they had to input it into the system that you built. Yes. So you'd be that's your face, they would fail. Yeah, that would be, I mean, see the thing is, is that they're, we're an industry of a thousand blooming flowers. Everybody is unique, and everybody is independent. Um, and even the big hospital systems, the massive chains that scale multiple states, uh, if you look, their hospitals still really operate as independent fiefdoms. So you, it's hard to say that one person you're going to line them up, and then everybody's going to follow them. Now, you line up certain clients, and it's enough of a reference that other people feel more comfortable with their foot in the water, which is nice. And so going after those clients, I think, is helpful. Um, the space that you're talking about, particularly around getting patient data, I, I think that's a recipe for failure. Yeah. You can't get the patients to put in the information. Yeah, no. I, I think that, that, yeah, I think if you think conceptually, so just again, if we're talking about, I'll, I'll, back to, I'll, I'll, I'll recant my last statement saying not talk about technology, but we'll talk about technology for a second. We're talking about how do we get a blockchain solution to be front and out front and, and highly adopted. I think again, it based, it has to be a solution to a problem that we currently have, right? So if the problem is identity, and then how do we how do we get a patient? So just think of whether you have Mint or some other application that aggregates your information. So how do you create the healthcare version of something like Mint so that I can I can have my identity? We also have to be able to say that the healthcare entities have to accept that. So so you know, I talk about governance. You talk about a consortium. I mean, there's a lot of steps just operationally before you can actually implement technology to make it successful. So that's what I'd say is a start. I'd say the, you know, the, the interesting thing with blockchain is it's really team sport. And so it's, it's not just one person driving something. It's really about many different people coming to the table and saying we can all work together in this. Um, I will say that from an identity standpoint, I really do like the sovereign model because it's basically identities in a wallet. And it's a concept that we're already familiar with. You open up your wallet, what do you have? You've got a driver's license, you've got some credit cards, you've got maybe some, you know, maybe you've got your healthcare card, maybe 
dental card, maybe you've got uh, some of your banking cards, whatever it is, right? So you've got a number of different pieces of your identity in your wallet. What we're saying is, and what Sovereign, for example, is saying, is that these identities can actually be ours in a wallet. And so if we're meeting um, somebody from a healthcare system, right, a healthcare provider of any kind, we can pull out the healthcare piece of our identity our wallet, from our wallet, right, from our digital wallet. And I think that that's really kind of the conversation that can help accelerate this. But this is not a one person or one entity driving that conversation. It's a we conversation. And that's why I said a lot of that mind, mindset has to be rethought. Right now, we're still sitting in that, well, I'm the entity. I'm the whatever, right? And we're not... It's just breaking that enterprise software exactly. mentality, and we, you know, blockchain has the advantage of being a networking technology, but it has the disadvantage, in this case, of getting all the network players to join. I think we're out of time, or do we have one more question? Okay. Um, well, we have two folks with one question. I don't know. Where's your both for Okay. Looks like it's over. 
I stepped out. Hopefully, uh, you got to enjoy it all. Thank you. This is your host, Shane Ripley, Mountain Crypto, over and out.